Alright friends, now we come to Genesis chapter number 3, and we're going to be in verse number 1 through verse number 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Heavenly Father, use this time together for your honor and your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of the message today is the source of the problem. Now we come here to Genesis chapter number 3. So far we have dealt with the creation of of all things. We've talked about the Sabbath day. We've talked about Adam and the garden and Eve and marriage. And now here we are in Genesis chapter number 3, one of the the one of the four great events in the book of Genesis. You have the creation and now we come to the fall. We'll then later deal with the flood and the Tower of Babel. Those are the four great events in Genesis. But we want to focus our message on one individual. It's not Adam, it's not Eve. But we want to focus our attention today on Satan. Now, the devil, his deception, his devices... His destruction is what we're going to focus on because this is a very important story of the Bible. Not only, not only when we're dealing with the sin problem and the fall of all mankind and the total depravity of man, but it also shows the technique that the devil uses to trick and deceive and cause destruction. Every Christian who is trying to live the Christian life and trying to stay close to the Lord should, on a regular basis, go back to these verses and look at the agenda that the devil used to, to, to successfully trick Eve. But by way of introduction, let's look at a couple things about the devil. First of all, we all need to know that the devil has a beginning. Number one, there's a beginning when you're talking about Satan. Satan is not a, uh, by no way, shape, or form, uh, Satan is, is not a, an all-powerful deity. He's not. Um, he, he wanted to be, but he, he isn't. Satan was created. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him, that is referring to Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. Does Satan have power? Yes. Is Satan real? Yes. And we'll talk a little bit more about um, his characteristics in a minute. But something we need to understand. Satan had a beginning. Satan was created. Not only did Satan have a beginning, but also there's beauty when you think of Satan. Over in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 through 16... The Bible says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the psalm full of wisdom, 
and perfect in beauty, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. He was a very lovely creation with amazing musical talents. Bible said they are pipes and tabrets. That's Lucifer. That, that word Lucifer means shining. At one point in time, Satan was a very, uh, Lucifer rather, was a very beautiful creature. Uh, but we see his beginning. We see his beauty. And then last of all, before we move on, we want to note one more important thing. We see his blasphemy. Isaiah 14, verse 13 and 14. For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He's known as the devil. He's known as the prince, the power of the air, the prince of this world, the God, little g, of this world. The dragon, the old serpent, the roaring lion. He's known as the ruler of darkness, Beelzebub. He's known as Apollon, which means destroyer. The wicked one, Belial, which means worthless. He's the tempter. He's the enemy. Bible says in Matthew 13, verse 39, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. His name is Satan. And the Bible does not portray Satan as an evil influence, but an evil individual. If you look in Job, chapter number 1, verse number 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and walking up and down in it. When Jesus was being tempted, uh, John chapter 8 verse 44, what did he answer and say to them? He said, Ye are of your father the devil, and your and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Years ago, there was a song written by the Rolling Stones. It was uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards wrote a song, Sympathy for the Devil. And it was sung by Jagger, and the, the song is a homage to the devil written in the first-person narrative from his point of view, recounting the, the atrocious um, the atrocities, uh, the, the horrible acts committed throughout the history of humanity in his name. And I'm quoting there, by the way. I'm, I'm using a quote. 
So in today's society, people would, would rather blame God than blame the devil. And that, that song, that whole purpose of that song, what that saying is, is uh, people would just blame the devil. And, oh, it's the devil's fault that, the, you know, the, the Kennedy assassination and, and there was different, um, different things throughout human history. And I'm here to tell you today that, yes, the devil is to blame. Uh, in today's society, like I said, people would rather blame God. If there is a God, why sin? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, the, the you know their their sins because um, Adam sinned in the garden. Well, why did Adam sin? Because um, he he willfully disobeyed God. Eve was tricked. Well, who tricked her? The devil tricked her. Satan tricked her. The title of the message, as I mentioned earlier, the source of the problem. A couple of years ago, actually uh, longer than that, more than I like to admit now, probably uh, seven or eight years ago. I used to help run, I was a co-operator of a, it was called a substrate adhesive machine. We, we nicknamed it SAM. And, uh, I worked in a, uh, folding carton, uh, folding carton factory that, and what that, the whole purpose of that machine was actually uh, for aluminum foil, uh, cartons. So when, when you get aluminum foil at the grocery store, it comes in that little carton and it's got the foil on there and it, it has the label and so forth. That's what that machine was for. And it was a very large machine. It was probably, I would say anywhere from uh, 60 to 80 to 90 feet long. It had three major sections. It had the, the unwind of the machine. That's where we would place the large rolls of paper. It was about 2,000 pound rolls of paper it was a giant sheet probably about 38 to 50 inches wide it was a large roll it'd be put on that machine and it was a web fed machine and that that roll would be placed on there and it would it would be fed into the machine and the middle part of that machine is where we kept the aluminum foil and that foil would would unwind onto the paper and there was glue on that machine and the foil would be glued to the paper, and then it would go through some some coating that was used to help the ink uh, that would later be printed on the foil help it stick. It would go through an oven to help it dry, and then it would go to the last part of the machine, which was the the um, the the rewind, which was uh, pretty much the part where a new roll of paper was made that had the foil on there. I hope I'm not putting you to sleep here. Uh, but when I would run that machine, I want you to I want you to understand this. One day I was running that machine. It's been many years ago, but I learned a very very valuable lesson. There were different controls on that machine that we would have to to different settings and and different things we would have to um, put in that machine so it would run properly. The, the, the everything from the speed to the the air, the pressure, uh, the position of the rollers. There was a lot of things that that played a part to making sure that machine would run correctly. And sometimes we would have to troubleshoot that machine if some wrinkles came up in the board. Sometimes if you put too much air pressure, if you had too much glue or whatever it may be, there were different problems that came up. And one day I was out there by myself. The machine was running great. Uh, it was a pretty good speed, I believe. 
and I saw some wrinkles come up on the finished product. And so I began to make adjustments to the machine. And I started making so many adjustments that I had for, forgotten what all I had changed on the machine. And, and that's not a good thing when, when you're running, when, when you're running a piece of machinery. Whenever you make an adjustment, you want to keep track of that. Cause if that's not the right adjustment, you want to go back. Well, I'm, I'm moving knobs and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, flipping switches and doing all kinds of different stuff. Long story short, the reason why the board, the, the final product was wrinkled is because the foil that I had put on the machine had a wrinkle in it. You see, the source of the problem was literally the foil. I did not have to make any adjustments whatsoever. I didn't have to adjust the speed. I didn't have to adjust anything whatsoever on that machine because there's nothing at all I could have done about it. Uh, you see, the, the, the source of the problem uh, today is, is, is sin is the devil, the god of this world. He's the father of all lies. He he tricked Eve. He he um um Adam would disobey God because of this and he would he would sin. And today we have a lot of people who are trying to get their hearts right. They want to be in a right relationship with God. They want to maybe um mend a broken relationship in their life. They want uh, to fix their life and, and, and get things back on track. But the problem is, they're trying to make all these adjustments. They're trying to make all these corrections without going to the source of the problem. You see, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When Adam disobeyed God, we see the total depravity of mankind. He brought death. Uh, Adam and Eve, there in the Garden of Eden, because of the trickery of Satan, and Eve was deceived, and she ate the fruit of the tree, uh, and, and Adam willfully disobeyed God, mankind is now lost, and we are totally depraved, we are totally without hope. And the only way we can get a right relationship is by going to the source, repenting of our sins, and trusting in Jesus Christ as our, as our Lord and Savior. And as Christians, you're listening today, you're a Christian, go to the source. Stop trying to, 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 to fix things in your life without going to the source. We'll get to this in a little bit later. But we need to go to the source of the problem. We need to realize what's really happening here. It's not that person at work that, that that's bringing you down. It's not that member of your family that's causing all the problems. It's not your finances that is taking away your joy. I'll tell you what the source of the problem is. It's the devil. It's sin. That's the source of the problem. We want to look at three main things today about the source of the problem. Number one we see the devil's decep deception. Now we read these verses earlier in Genesis chapter number 3, verse 1 through 6. And we turn over to 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 11, verse 3. Paul said, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his sub subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Friends, 
The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. The devil is a liar. He is a trickster. He is a deceiver, a murderer. He destroys homes. He destroys nations. He destroys lives. He's been opposing God's plans for ages. Whatever God plans and hopes for in this world, Satan opposes it, and he does anything and everything he can do to stop it from happening. That word deception of a person, it causes someone to believe something that is not true, typically in order to gain some personal advantage. While talking about the devil's deception, I want to turn your attention to three things about how Satan tricked Eve. The first thing he did is he questioned the word of God. Let's look at verse number 1 in our main text here. Genesis chapter number 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, I want you to notice here. We do not know where the serpent came from, but we do know the serpent was used of Satan. No doubt he was a beautiful, he was a majestic creature. What does Paul say over in 2 Corinthians? And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. The first thing the devil did is he questioned the word of God. He cast a shadow of doubt over God's word. When you look at that great story that C.S. Lewis wrote, The Chronicles of Narnia, there's, there's so many different illustrations and pictures of, of Christ and Christians. But you look at Queen Jadis, how she is a, a picture of the devil in that story. She's an illustration of, of Satan. When she tricked, in the, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, when she tricks Edmund, she does not use force. She does not use blunt force trauma. She does, she does not, not use um, uh, what, what we see a lot of, like a bully would do, where a bully intimidates somebody. That's not what the, 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 the witch did. She, she did not use, use that. What did she do? She, she took Edmund and she put him in her fur coat and she used magic and she made him Turkish delights. And then when she began talking about him being a king and how his brothers and sisters would serve him and she used flattery and deception. When we look at the serpent's temptation, it's important to understand here that he did not go straight to Adam. He did not intimidate Adam. Satan did not go uh, to Adam and, 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 and just walk right up to him and say, eat of that fruit of the tree of the, God, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil and eat it right now. You have to do it. He didn't do that. He used the serpent, uh, no doubt a, a beautiful creature in that day, to trick Eve. Now, man was not created in, uh, righteous. Man's created innocent. He was given responsibility. He was given the responsibility to serve, to glorify. He was given the responsibility to obey his creator. And this was not the only tree in the garden. This is not the only tree that man um, 
you know, that, that man had. No, he had plenty to eat of. This was just the only tree that he could not eat of. God was very clear on that. He was very clear on his instructions. And the very first thing Satan did was he questioned. When you look at verse number 2 and 3, it's also very important to note something. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 7, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Friend, where in that verse does God say anything about not touching the fruit? Eve misquoted the word of God. Satan will attack those weak in knowledge of God's word. He questions the word of God, not to Adam, but to Eve. And he did it in a way where, where he does not present himself as a threat. That's very important that you understand. The first thing he does is he questions the word of God. The second thing he does, he denies the word of God. Verse number four, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. How many times have you heard a person who is a skeptic of the word of God, and they use this tactic? They're not the first one to think of it, because the devil did it first. But they question, well, why, what, you know, what, what does God say about that again? And then they flat out will deny it. No, that's not what that scripture means. No, that's not what the Bible says. Or no, that will not happen. So the first thing Satan does is he questions. The second thing he does is he denies. And then the last thing he does, in verse number 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He substitutes his own words. Questioning the word, denying the word, and perverting the word. That is a tactic that Satan has used, and he's still using it today. How many false religions in the world have used that tactic? How many people who are skeptics and question the Word of God will use that tactic? They'll take one verse out of context, they'll question that verse, they'll deny it, and then they will add to it. I want to quote Dr. J. Vernon McGee here in his commentary on this verse. He says that, and I quote, You will find that this is the exact temptation that Satan brought to the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. See Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4. First of all, he said to our Lord, Make these stones into bread. This was the appeal to the flesh, as the tree was good for food. Then Satan showed the Lord the kingdoms of the world and offered them to him. That was an appeal to the mind as the tree was pleasant to the eyes. Then finally he said, Cast yourself down from the temple. This was an appeal to the religious side of man, as the tree was be desired to make one wise. I do not think that the devil has changed his tactics today. He uses the same tactics with you and me, and the reason that he still uses them is that they work. 
He hasn't needed to change his tactics, for we all seem to fall for the same line. Very, very good commentary there. And he's referring to chapter 3 and verse number 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Satan questioned the word, Satan denied the word, and then he perverted the word by substituting his own words. We see the devil's deception. Number two, we see the devil's devices. Now, over in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul was talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What he is referring to here is in 1 Corinthians, Paul rebuked the church because they had turned a blind eye to gross immorality. What happened was there was a case of incest in the church and they were not dealing with it. The, the heathens in the area were even shocked of this gross immorality. And Paul tells them over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 13, to put away from among you your, yourselves that wicked person. A member of the church had taken his father's wife, his own stepmother, and were given strict instructions how we must deal with this type of sin over in Matthew chapter 18. And in Corinth, what happened was they compromised. They pretty much, they just let this sin go on. They, they knew about it. They turned a blind eye to it. And they just let it go on. And church discipline is something that cannot be ignored. The Bible gives us specific instructions how we're to handle that. The last thing you want to do is let church, uh, let somebody who is uh, disobeying God's word and living in an open sin in the church, let that continue on. Uh, that is not healthy. It's not Bible. And Paul tells them uh, there needed to be some correction there. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he, he, he points that out um, over in 1 Corinthians. Then in, in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about it again. And they obeyed Paul. The man was excommunicated. This was the right thing to do. He was openly living in sin. He had no place whatsoever in the church. But now, this man has repented. He he. No longer, when I say repented, I'm not talking about he just says, hey, I'm sorry, and then continues to do it because he wanted to be let back in the church. No, this man repented and he turned away from that sin. And now Paul is begging the church to confirm their love to him and forgive them. And it's very important you understand something here. Jesus Christ died for all sinners. God's grace is available to all men. It's God's will that all men come to repentance. And Paul, that gross immorality was identified. The man repented. And now Paul begs them to let this man back in. Why? So Satan should not get an advantage. It said, lest Satan should get an advantage, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What does that mean? If after this man had repented of his sin 
and and got his heart right with God, if they then would have rejected this man, they're now opening the door for Satan to come in. The Bible says, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. The uh, Bible says in Second Timothy, they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Shall we turn unto fables? If there's any way to keep a home divided, a church divided, a nation divided, it's through Satan's devices. And Paul said they are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're the church. Hey, we need to forgive this man. We need to love this man. He's got his heart right with God. Let's accept him back into our fellowship. And we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, nor are we to be, last of all, we see the devil's destruction. Jesus gives light to men. The Holy Spirit convicts men. It's up to man to respond to that. Satan will do everything he can to keep men away from God. Satan destroys homes. He destroys countries. He destroys churches. We see the deception of the enemy, the devices of the enemy, but last of all, the destruction of the enemy. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, and I close with this, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Until next time, may the Lord bless you.